Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz. It is a great day to be great. And yeah, happy freaking July. Getting through the NFL offseason. Before we know it, those home league fantasy drafts are going to be here. Of course, we are always drafting every day over here in Fantasy Life land. And guess what? In Fantasy Life land, got to consider a bunch of different variables. So joining me on this podcast to discuss some of those variables, Fantasy Life's finest, Chris Allen. What's going on, Chris? Brother, I know that you've had a hell of a week already uh, making your big move across the great state of Ohio, but I know that folks will probably take a look at the title for this podcast and be like, should I really care about this stuff? Should I really care about the weather? It's the middle of freaking July. It's hot outside, right? I want to go out and touch some grass, not to worry about if the grass is moving, it's going to be rain or snow on it, but... That's the stuff that matters once we get into the actual fantasy season, right? On a week-to-week basis, everybody wakes up on Sundays and they see the forecast or they're heading into the Thursday night game. They see the forecast and it's like, oh, damn, I got to do something about my lineup, right? That's why we're trying to get this stuff out of the way early so that once we get into the season, you ain't got to worry about it as much. So that's why we're here today to have a quick conversation about it, hopefully bust some myths Get a little, you know, like check some of the biases people have so that when you do get into the season and the stuff starts to pop up, you don't have to worry about it as much. Exactly, man. And look, we spent an entire podcast on week 17 matchups a little bit earlier in this uh, summer. And again, very similar point here. Yes, weather matters. Week 17 matchups matter in certain terms of uh, in certain types of fantasy leagues, I should say. And yeah, exactly, Chris, I would rather get this out of the way now. So we don't have to be panicking Sunday morning trying to run back to us to figure out how much this wind actually matters when it pops up. So I know you've been absolutely in the weed here for weeks, Chris, going through trying to figure out just how much a lot of this stuff matters. Because personally, as someone who has left this to you, man, because I trust your research and you're going to, I know, lead us and show us some great weather stuff here. But just personally, not having done the research, in my mind, it's... Okay, cold weather, not ideal. Rain, snow, not ideal. But the big thing to worry about are the heavy wind games, specifically over 20 miles per hour. So talk about what you found in terms of just new ways to deal with these wind games. Because I think a lot of people, when we just see, again, those 20 plus mile per hour winds, or God forbid you get the you know sustained 18 mile per hour winds with gusts up to 40 miles per hour and all this madness that I don't know what it exactly means. Talk about some of the new ways you found to deal with again, windy games that otherwise we just look at and say, well, that sucks. I think the biggest thing that folks need to take a step back from when they see those types of forecasts, when you see, like you were just saying, 40 mile per hour gusts, uh, 18 mile per hour sustained winds and all of that is to let's just focus on the game in and of itself. Because that's the biggest takeaway that I've, I've honestly found, like unless you get into the, the extreme stuff, and we'll get into that later. But on a, a normal basis, if you see just a, a game that's at 18 miles per hour, or even like as we're approaching 20, let's just look at the game itself. What would we expect if, they, if it was played in a dome, right? If it was played in a dome or let's play it was played outside and it was just like normal conditions, less than 10 miles an hour, what would you expect? Because let's say if it was going to be the week 17 matchup between Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, we would expect that to be a high-flying, pass-happy, fantasy-friendly type of game, mm-hmm. right? And if it's 20 miles an hour or getting up to 20 miles an hour, are we really going to start sitting Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow? Are we going to start pulling the Jamar Chase? Are you sitting T. Higgins in those lineups? I know it kind of almost falls back to the starcher studs analysis, but it's not even really that. It's just what do we would we normally expect when those two offenses were to interact? Conversely, 
let's say, in the Week 17 matchup between who do the Saints play in Week 17? I'm quizzing you real quick. Buccaneers. A, there we go. So uh, in the Saints-Buccaneer matchup, are you? what do we expect out of that matchup? I mean, on the, it's almost on the opposite end of the spectrum. We're already expecting lower scoring type of at a lower scoring type of event. Maybe a more a less pass friendly, less fantasy friendly type of event. So if we're already expecting that from that game, and let's say it's going to be played outside, I forget if it's going to be in Tampa Bay or if it's going to be in the Superdome. Either way, if it was windy conditions, we were already going to expect a lower scoring affair. So the data, and of course we'll get into the weeds here in a little bit, but the overall takeaway would be that we really need to start at the matchup level. Generate, have our own expectations about what those two offense were, offenses were going to do let's say it played in the dome, perfect conditions or whatever. And then after that, after we have an understanding of what the general or baseline pass rate over expectations, completion percentage over expectation would be for the two quarterbacks that are going to be involved, then after that, let's start then layer in some analysis about what the weather could do depending on who those quarterbacks are. It's a factor and it does matter and it will make an impact in terms of start set decisions. And Chris, the whole start your studs thing, I feel like it almost gets a bad rap because people just have different definitions for who studs are. Because let's face it, I mean, every single player in the NFL is in the top 1%, of the top 1% of football players out there. So every single NFL player is a quote unquote stud if you want to look at it from that you know perspective. I tend to look at it more so as, you know, running back and wide receiver. I'm talking like the top 12, top 15 players, the guys that get so much freaking volume that even if that football is flying over their head 10 times in a row, maybe those next five or six opportunities are going to be able to make it happen. So again, a lot of the guys you listed in that Bengals Chiefs game, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to even possibly put it out there that you would consider uh, sitting any of them. But, you know, I I know you get these questions on Sunday morning too, Chris. People do panic about that. So again, good tiebreaker. Same thing with defensive matchups. But again, probably not something to necessarily go ahead and, you know, bench Patrick Mahomes for Sam Howell for uh, just because you think it's going to be a little bit windy out there. But uh, the one interesting thing you also have, uh, you know, Chris, just in this is the fact that when bad things happen, they stick out in our mind so much more than the average or good thing. So when we always go back and we think about weather, we don't think about the game that, you know, Sunday morning there was 25 mile per hour winds and both teams scored 30 plus points. Yeah, we don't remember that. We remember the game when there was so much wind and snow and it absolutely tanked everything going on there. It's the same way how, you know, someone can say one nice compliment to you or they can say a hundred nice compliments to you and you might, you know, be happy about that. But one negative Nancy out there says something mean, that's the thing that's going to be sticking out in your head. So do you think a lot of this with the weather is more so, again, just that human reaction and just, I guess, uh, human tendency, I should say, to remember the bad more than the good? Absolutely. I think that's a lot of our thought process or approaches to some of these bad weather games are just based off of those negative biases because there were two or three games that were played last season that were approaching or just over that 20 mile per hour mark and nothing happened. And we don't really talk about that, but it's the ones that we remember. What was it? The game in 2021, uh, two games in 2021 up in Cleveland against both the the Raiders and then it was the Texans, almost in like in a two to three week span where they were 25 or in uh, exceeding 25 miles per hour in terms of the wins there in Cleveland. We remember those games. We remember that it was the wind was blowing, the, the games were low scoring, expectations for Deshaun Watson, Derek Carr, and then, of course, Bar- Baker Mayfield in both games 
all fell below expectations. But honestly, if we already thought that the Browns are going to be more run heavy anyway, shouldn't we have kind of layered that into our expectations? So, but outside of, again, it was more extreme conditions. So a guy like Deshaun Watson was somewhat impacted, but it's not just those games, but it's also the way that we've kind of processed the data or like how we've looked at some of the charts that have been presented as it comes to weather analysis. One of the studies that I referenced in my piece was the Brian Burke's 2012 study where he looked at the effects of weather on, on, on fantasy football or just on football in general, not even fantasy football. But one of the charts, and I've seen this retweeted, I don't know how many times uh, when it comes to weather analysis as it pertains to fantasy football, is the decline in adjusted yards per attempt as wind speed increases. So adjusted yards per attempt factors in not just passing yards, but also touchdowns, interceptions, like all of that kind of goes into that particular metric, which is, and also he took, uh, so Brian Burke, he took that chart, took the averages over each uh, each mile per hour mark all the games that you know went into each mile per hour and then average that and you can see on the chart Let's reference in the piece. You see the sharp decline. So as wind speed increases You should expect to see shorter passes shorter pass attempts Everybody takes the they take a look at the chart. They see the decline and then it's like oh shorter passes Oh, that's what that's what's going to happen every single time that there's going to be a high winds type game There's going to be shorter passes, but I've got Two problems with that. One is the sampling size that's associated with that. We've only had, since 2018, less than 30 games have been played at 20 miles per hour or more. And that's like over the 900 or so games, regular season games that have been played outside of domes. So if we're already looking at a small sample size, we're only looking at about 30 quarterbacks that have played in 20 mile per hour wins or, or worse, then can we really draw that same type of conclusion? I say no. But the second part to that is also when uh, when you start to think about like, okay, shorter passes, does that necessarily impact quarterbacks from a fantasy perspective, right? Shorter passes isn't that bad. Patrick Mahomes, his average depth of target has dropped almost a yard per season over the last three or four seasons. Joe Burrow also had to find like more success over the intermediate parts of the field because they're pass or explosive pass rate dropped. The Cincinnati Bengals did from 2021 to 2022. We expect more to be more efficient or be able to create after the catch. So shorter passes isn't really bad. So if we're just expecting, oh, shorter passes, or we just assume that shorter passes are going to occur, and then also assume that that means that's bad for fantasy, that's a bad conclusion to take from the data that we've been presented. So it's two biases that we're already having to push against when it comes to the weather and just the way that we've perceived or that we've interpreted that data for the last, I don't know, 10-ish years or so. I do see it sometimes with average target depth where it's almost used as like the higher up it is, like the better it is. And I think it's just people need to get through their head how much more of a stylistic measure it is. And look, it's fun to just measure things like that. And, you know, PFF's big time throw rate. I mean, when we all watch television and, you know, football games and we see, you know, you know, honey hole shot, you got the safety coming over, you know, uh, hitting it right down the sideline in that hole there, like, it's a fantastic throw. It's a big time throw and that's great. But Chris, you know, if you gain 25 yards on a really tough sideline throw or you gain 25 yards on a short screen that, you know, the running back takes up the field, like those count the exact same in fantasy land. So I'm with you. I mean, Hey, if the average target def is able to tell us, you know, who's maybe getting the ball more often, I am there for that and using it. But again, just looking at it as in terms of a, Oh, this quarterback's going to have a smaller average target def this year. So he's not going to put up more fantasy numbers. Definitely uh, not going to be making that takeaway 
there. So great points there. And yeah, just the minor and not the minor detail, but how few this actually happens, man. I mean, you note that 900 of the 924 non-dome games had, you know, winds less than 20 miles per hour. So we're literally only talking about less than 4% of games with these winds over 20 miles per hour. So it's a small sample size. And I will say also, Chris, like when you it's another one of those things where when the Super Bowl happens every year and we start seeing like the people kind of making fun of the high school star ratings. There'll be more like players that were one or two star recruits and five star recruits. And it's like, okay, that's a good story. I know what they're trying to say, but when there's only like a hundred five star recruits every year, not even a hundred, when there's like 55 star recruits and there's thousands of one star and two star recruits out there, you know, we're yeah. talking about different sample sizes. So the fact that again, 20 miles per hour is different than 35 miles per hour, but we see this all lumped together is just 20 miles per hour plus. And that's another part that you point to where, yes, you know, okay, we can find evidence with these wind speeds and everything being over 20 miles per hour isn't good, but you have found big time differences as you would expect, as you continue to climb up further and further away from that 20 mile per hour mark. And different quarterbacks are affected differently. We should expect that because not every quarterback plays the same. They don't have the same arm strength. They don't have the same personnel. They're not running the same type of offense. I mean, all of those things should be up, like the, all of those things factor into how they create fantasy points. So why don't we consider that when we come to our analysis or our expectations when the weather is impacted? So let's take a guy like Josh Allen. I mean, he's the he's always going to be in the quarterback one conversation from here until whenever, right? Not just become not just because of a passing standpoint, but because he has the mobility, right? The ability to create on on the ground. So if short passes are obviously going to be like one of the things that people hook onto or they say that, well, it's going to be shorter passes. Okay, well that's fine. Josh Allen still has his legs. He still has an efficient passing game, even if it is going to be shorter, and also still has his legs as a trump card. So understanding player or quarterback archetypes, offensive tendencies, all of that should be really our, our first step versus saying, okay, well, I'm not just going to apply the same rule of thumb to Josh Allen as I would to somebody like Kirk Cousins, who has no mobility, still attached to a good offense, but more relied on volume than, let's say, those deep hole shots that you were just mentioning to like Stefan Diggs or Gabe Davis. Doesn't really have that same option or doesn't throw it at the same rate as a Josh Allen does. So when you really drop it back instead of saying just, well, I'm just going to look at the weather analysis, let's compare the two quarterbacks. Let's compare their tendencies. And if any of those uh, like the ace up their sleeve, like the, any of those trump cards that they can play start to go away because of the weather. Ah, now, now we can start to really start to find out the differences between the two and how that impacts things for fantasy. On the Josh Allen note, I mean, we had that Bears game last year. That was one of the bigger concerns with the wind. And sure enough, Chris, he rushes for, you know, six carries, 41 yards, scores that touchdown, still peels off a top seven finish, even though they only threw the ball 26 times. And, you know, did the weather have something to do with them only throwing the ball 26 times? Sure, but again, we can be a little bit more nuanced with this and look at that game that the you know Bills end up winning 35 to 13. And yeah, we realized pretty quickly, probably didn't need to keep their foot on the gas as much as we thought. So again, love how much you're stressing just the matchup comes first and looking at these teams against each other. Put that first. But the really cool takeaway here, man, that I think uh, you kind of land on is not so much about the direct 
not so much about taking again this 30 quarterback sample and trying to say like oh every single quarterback is going to be this much worse um, in terms of you know adjusted yards per attempt or whatever metric you want to use it's actually looking at more so the play volume and seeing how much the teams are going to be passing because that seems to be one of the better takeaways that you know you're able to come up with this pass rate over expected and how that can be influenced based on the wind speed yeah, and that's another bias I've seen another a lot of folks point out is that, oh, shorter passing, but also it's going to benefit the running game. Oh, start, you know, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, all your stud running backs are Chris, I will say, though. I will say, I mean, if it is a snow game, you got to start Shady McCoy. Like the rules are 100%. I still remember that game. Dude, I remember I was, uh, I had, oh, who was it? I think I had either Joyke Bell or one of the other running backs on the Detroit side. I had, and I was waffling up until kickoff because I remember looking at that game, you could barely see the field. And I was like, there's no way I can start a running back in this game. It's going to be an absolute mess. I held on to whichever Detroit running back that it was actually worked out in my favor. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like we, we see those <laughs> things and it just, it, it sparks that visceral reaction where it's like, oh, I got to do something, right? You look at, what was it? Even just the, uh, the game before, I think it was in Buffalo, where they were having to like snowplow the field beforehand, and oh, yeah. what there were members from like Bills Mafia digging some of the players like out of their homes in order to get them there. They're riding on you know uh, snow snowmobiles or whatever to get to the stadium. We see all that stuff, and we just infer that oh, that means that the game is going to be bad, and sometimes it turns out all right, and sometimes it doesn't. But I think the important thing to to really like hook on to like with this play volume thing is that we just think that that's what's going to happen we think there's going to be more rushing and that's going to extend the time in between plays so we're going to have fewer plays for our quarterbacks and then subsequently the wide receivers and tight ends to really benefit from a fantasy standpoint but we also didn't say we we didn't see that like that's not what the data is showing us the assumption was that the play volume PROE is going to fall at a similar rate to the adjusted yards per attempt. Because once again, you see that decline, you see yards per attempt falling. So that means, oh, well, if yards per attempt's falling, that means they're not passing as much, they're running the ball more. No, it's actually stable. Up until 20 miles per hour, pass rate over expectation, total plays run, total plays run, it drops by about 1.6 plays. Who cares about if you really care if two plays and sometimes that does make a difference, right? Because like that one play to what was it? The PJ Walker touchdown to DJ Moore. That oh was probably gosh. one one play that people really needed to have happen. So it's like a little bit. Yeah. In the aggregate, two plays is not going to change everything to change anything about your matchup. So if we can at least assume that the behavior for teams if their tendencies from pass rate over expectation, how many plays they ex they're trying to run on a per game basis doesn't change until you really start pushing into the extremes past 20 miles per hour and on down, like the Mac Jones win game where they only threw three times in that particular matchup. That's where you can start to change your expectations for the game. But up until 20 miles per hour, if they're passing at a similar expectation, at similar expected rate, if they're running a similar number of plays or they're averaging a similar number of plays, then we really shouldn't have to concern ourselves with anything up until 20 miles per hour because that's when the behavior change and we start getting into more of the extreme ranges of wind speeds anyway.
And once we get past 20 miles per hour, as we talked about, just so few and far between in the first place that even the, the takeaways we do have, it's tough to be too overly, you know, just thrilled or confident in them, I should say, because of the small sample size attached. So, Chris, you're saying, again, under 20 miles per hour wind, just really nothing for us to really overly concern ourselves with. Does that also apply to the, when we have, you know, freezing temperatures and a bunch of rain? Or are we talking more so in those situations like complete outliers, like, you know, bears 40 49ers week one last year where they had to digitally impose yard lines on the field because I mean even that like even as I'm saying this to you right now like okay you would like to think that they didn't have a freaking concert on Soldier Field the day before maybe the field would have actually been in better shape so even from that standpoint where again I would think that you know you have driving gale force rain and stuff like that but the wind's not that high I mean are we are we okay with saying like weather doesn't matter for the most part for the most part, because even if you start mixing in, because uh, not nothing like that, but this, I was on ship chasing last night with our brethren, you know, Karain and like Pete Overzet and Gretch. But uh, Karain had posed like a similar question, like what if it's 20 degrees and 13 mile per hour winds, right? You would take those two things and kind of say, well, it's not super windy, but it's kind of windy. Well, it's not super cold, but it's kind of cold. And does that matter? In my mind, no, because if... 13 miles per hour, just that singular element wouldn't be one that we would concern ourselves with. We can toss that aside. 20 degrees, and for folks that don't know, the studies that I've done on cold, you really don't start to see any drop-off in pass rate. Total plays run until you get into like the single digits. 10 and below is where that starts to make a difference. So if those two things on their own don't affect the metrics that we concern ourselves with for fantasy, then even combining them should not be a factor. And the data does kind of play that out because I did sample some of those games where the temperature was a factor or like the rain was a factor at minimal amounts to see if, all right, do we really start to see like once you start playing with the two, what really happens? Small sample sizes, but as of right now, you're not, I'm not seeing anything that indicates, well, once you start combining some of those things, even on a smaller level or a less affected level, we should change anything. But it's when you get into, yeah, the Chicago game from last year where it's you are seeing precipitation rates well above 0.1 inches per hour, which is like, I'd say like monsoon, torrential downpour, yeah. we'll just say heavy rain, right? Almost like the... Uh, the previous year, week seven, uh, Indianapolis versus San Francisco when they were playing in the rain. Oh, yeah. The year before that, 2020, I think it was week nine, San Francisco against Washington out in Washington, the Mud Bowl game there. It's week seven, week nine, like one of those two. Mm-hmm. But like those games where it's just players like running down and like using the field as a freaking slip and slide. <laughs> I mean, that that type of thing. But if it's not into the extremes, I'm not worried about it. Guy, I still love Fields doing that after the win uh, last season. So cool. Fields is someone, yeah. again, you mentioned in that Bears-Bills uh, game we brought up before, you know, yes, maybe you could look at that and say, oh, Fields played bad. You know, it shouldn't have been a situation where he played him in that bad of weather. But, you know, you also know he's got a busted shoulder playing against a really freaking good defense in the Buffalo Bills. So, again, adding that extra context can really help, I think, not have the wrong takeaways here. So, Chris, I think the last major thing to kind of hit here is just your, again, overall fantasy implications. You were able to, you know, get a chart going with a bunch of different things we've been talking about. And one of your takeaways here was that scrambling, not necessarily rushing QBs attached to the offenses that we already knew were good ended up standing out in each group. Yeah. And I, so just for as a quick jump off point, I took, uh, so there were 24 games 
24 games that had passers that were playing in games of 20 miles per hour or more. And then if you take those, all of the all the quarterbacks that were in those games, so 24 times 2, that's 48. And then now you sort them for just the unique quarterbacks. I think I came down to about 28 total quarterbacks across those 24 games. 28 unique quarterbacks across 24 games. And then I kind of bucketed them to see like which ones were really affected and which ones weren't, which ones were in like extreme conditions, which ones weren't, and how they were affected. And so, yeah, the common theme, the common theme across most of them, the guys that were so averaging, let's say 16 fantasy points per game or better, guys that we would consider to be top 12-ish, right? All scramblers. I mean, from Joe Burrow to Kyler Murray to Josh Allen, Russell Wilson in his better, like his better scrambling days, like with the Seahawks. I mean, all of those guys were guys that we would already consider to be in the top 12 all part of efficient passing games. It didn't have to be high pass rate games. I'm not saying these are teams that were in the top five, top six in pass rate over expectation, but they were already accurate quarterbacks to begin with, already scramblers or capable of moving or rushing quarterbacks or whatever label you want to call them, Konami code quarterbacks, whatever. Shout out to Rich Rebar. But all of those guys, they were the ones that were capable of still putting up the fantasy points that we would expect from our quarterback. And even taking it like a, a high level look at all of it, I just took their baseline expectations. So baseline expectations being if they're playing in games that didn't have high wind speeds. So I sampled or I averaged games that were 10 miles an hour or less and compared that to their fantasy points in games that were 20 miles an hour per more. The R squared or the correlation value between those two was a 0.4. I mean, that is a significant correlation between those two things. Essentially telling us that good quarterbacks stay good, bad quarterbacks stay bad, and the guys that really fit in the middle. So let's say like the Kirk Cousins, the Derek Carrs, I mean, the guys that, you know, they, they might fit into the late round quarterback strategy, one week streamers, all of those guys. That's where we might have to have, have some questions. But if we almost back to the, what we were talking about beforehand, if you had Josh out or if you're going to be playing that week 17 game between Cincinnati and Kansas City. You are probably not going to be moving off of that game unless you you hear there's a tornado going on in Kansas City. Yeah. And on the flip side, for the Saints and Buccaneers game, you're probably not stacking that one anyway. So even if something were to happen, your expectations for that game were going to be low. And the data really shows that a lot of our ex like baseline expectations hold steady despite the weather really getting into the extremes. Did you look at hand size at all with this, Chris? Because it is, you know, one of the goofier variables we always hear about when the scouting combine comes in. And, you know, we have Kenny Pickett actually doing things to try to make his hands grow bigger. You know, we got the Burger King commercial from back in the day that we always get to bring up again. Like with the hand size stuff, I mean, I do think there's a little bit of credence to the idea that quarterbacks with these massive hands have an easier time holding on to a wet football or, you know, whipping it through windy weather. Any sort of takeaways with that? Again, I know we're just dealing with with such small sample sizes here, it might be hard to have any actionable takeaways. I've looked at that actually, uh, because I, I've, I've talked with Evan Silva about it because I know for years he has been ranting about Jared Goff going from he played at Cal for the most part of his career, was playing out on the West Coast in LA, and then now going to Detroit, where you know that cold is going to be an issue potential problems with if they play outside of the dome and potential right. issues with him playing in the rain fumbling if the weather gets cold uh, that's that's something i've been looking at i've actually talked with edwin portos 
uh, about like if he's been able to pull any sort of like uh, PT studies on grip strength as it relates to temperature. Because you'd almost think that if there's a circulation type of issue or joint issue that would crop up, like once your hands do get cold, if you do have smaller hands, it might be harder for you to grip the ball at the right amount of strength or pressure rather in order to create that tight spiral that would be, you know, that lends itself to a more accurate pass. So I, I have started looking at it. It's all anecdotal at this point, but I do think that there's there's something to it. But it, but I my my hesitancy to put something out is just because, again, we're dealing with such small sample size. Right? There's only so many quarterbacks that are active or have been active right now that have had those, one, have the smaller hand size, and two, have played in the game before we could actually see something that might have happened. Chris, fantastic stuff. And again, you have all this research up for free, as always, at FantasyLife.com. Anything else with the weather stuff that you want to touch on that we have not gotten to already? Uh, just a couple of things. Uh, once we get into the season, I know that one of the like two two things that I look at on a week to week basis, outside of the like the pass rate over expectation CPOE and all that stuff, so like the in game metrics, uh, but it's stadium location. Uh, I've looked at uh, the orientation of the stadium, so the azimuth, how it sits, like as compared to true north, and when you compare that to the actual direction of the wind itself, generating a cross breeze is something that we should at least pay attention to. Might not be for passers or something we need to uh, start to take into account for passers, but for kickers, absolutely, because the ball is going to be going up much higher. It might be affected by the wind a bit more. That's something to pay attention to. And also the stadium height. Just think about it from the sense of if you have something that's 10 feet in front of you or 10 feet tall that you're sitting next to is a little bit different than something that's 100 feet tall, providing a natural barrier. So stadium height and like how it's constructed, that can play something of a role in terms of completion percentage over expected, which the data uh, bears out. And just one thing to keep in mind that I always try to practice as much as possible is if you play in fantasy leagues without kickers, like God intended, then you don't have to even worry about the wind speed with the kickers freaking going on. Freaking pretend football players over here. But Chris cannot say enough good things about this information because again, in July right now, like, no, I'm probably not going to be thinking too much more about wind speed for a couple of months, but I know there's going to be a time in late November or early December when everyone's going to be losing their damn mind about this stuff. And mm -hmm. we already have all your great research ready to go right here so fantastic stuff my friend and yeah weather doesn't matter not really but sometimes is that, is that a fair way of putting it that's a fair way of putting it yeah <laughs> great stuff chris i know you've been uh grinding hardcore at home got some ac conditioning problems which is not ideal you know in the middle of july meanwhile i have been moving away from lovely cincinnati to columbus and i am absolutely drained my friend one man moving crew ian hart it's you know call me if you need something moved just kidding never freaking again but yeah bro ready to uh ready to get on to this next week and um get after it you got anything else to get off your chest uh, so this weekend, I'm actually traveling up to Cleveland. Uh, I'm going to go hang out with one of our, a couple of our folks, actually. So Rich Rebar is up there. Uh, we're going to like head out to Cedar Point. So we'll be out there at the theme park that weekend. And uh, Pat Thorman from ETR will also be in the area as well. So the three of us will be hanging out uh, over the weekend. So it should be a good time to get the kids out, you know, enjoy the weather while we can, uh, enjoy the summer for a little bit. So that's where I'll be at over the weekend. Then it's right back to work once we get back uh, on Sunday and back into Monday. 
dude, you have to buy the like skip the line pass at Cedar Point. I got it last time I went. I can never go back to like standing in line again. It's the most oh yeah, the, the most plus EV move ever is just buying that dash pass, whatever the hell they call it. I don't know if you could set the price limit high enough. Like I would just continue to buy up on it, man. The last yeah. time I went to, it had like free drinks and food attached to it. Like, dude, you literally waste like an hour and a half sitting in those lines. Like to me just getting to walk past the people that did not pay up like that is worth the money in and of itself. Oh, hell yeah. You All right. I'll have to, to I'll have to look that I'll have to look into it when we get there. I haven't been there. It's probably been 20 years since I've been to Cedar oh Point. Gosh. Well, they yeah. got rid of the dragster finally, you know, the one that just goes like straight up 400 feet, you know, zero to 120 miles per hour in like three or four seconds. They got rid of that uh, finally. Okay. But I went, I went a couple of years ago, my buddy, and because we had this dash pass, like, again, we got to ride it like eight or nine times during the day when I remember when I was a kid standing in line, it's like, well, I can maybe get to this twice before, you know, we got to go do something yeah. else. So any roller coaster, you know, fans out there, again, go pay that extra money for it. Or, you know, you can make your kids stand in line. I don't mean that, that builds, you know, just, uh, you know, work ethics that what I'm looking for builds mm -hmm. character. Chris standing in line as a kid builds character, but as an adult, yes. miss me with that grinding Hell during yeah. the week. So I don't have to stand in line on the weekends. So enough about that. Now I just want to thank you guys again for always tuning into the fantasy life podcast and invite you guys to also check out our new and improved fantasylife.com. Amazing stuff going on from our team of developers and just really everyone here, you know, the amount of work that goes into a website from top to bottom cannot be done with any bad links and rest assured we have nothing but good ones here over at fantasy life so check out the new site free newsletter as always and other than that yeah have a freaking fantastic weekend everybody so for chris i'm ian thanks again for tuning in to fantasy life podcast until next time take care everybody